This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. I'm your host, Tatiana, and each week we'll uncover stories, ideas, routines, and expert information to help guide you on your ever-evolving journey of good sex. We believe that through democratizing sexual wellness, we can shift cultural taboos and make way for authentic and limitless access to pleasure, joy, and connection to the body. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bedside Podcast. I'm so thrilled to chat with you this week and bring you a much-requested episode with Dr. Laurie Mintz. So I'm really excited to welcome her back to the podcast today. We've had her on previously when she did the episode titled Becoming Cliterate, but today we're really getting nitty-gritty around orgasms specifically, and I get deep into the science with Dr. Laurie about what an orgasm actually is, whether or not you know if you've had one, the orgasm gap, the many spectrum of O's, and we get into a step-by-step guide to orgasming. That's right, whether you struggle to O or you are slinging them left and right, Dr. Lori is here to give it to us straight with top-notch research, a lesson in anatomy, and her best advice for getting off. I also do want to bring up as we are in the backlash of the Roe versus Wade undoing. Last week was really tough for a lot of us, and it's been really hard to honestly process a lot of the news that's just been coming at us, and I think this really hit it home for a lot of people. So in the wise words of Esther Perel, she poses, what if eroticism was a pivotal part of our activism? And what if self-care was the fueling station for such? So I want to bring this episode because not only is it lighthearted, but I really believe that pleasure is a part of our radical act of activism. I just want to say that I'm with you and I'm recognizing that it's not an easy time right now. And if you are kind of struggling to just get by, it's okay. Like we are enduring a lot of stress. So I'm really excited to bring this episode with Dr. Lori to you because we got real about a lot of things, but I want to remind us that our pleasure is our priority and it is a practice and it is something we're all deserving of. So let's go into this weekend with that in mind. And I hope that this can kind of be a little bit of a silver lining. So with that said, let's get to the episode and I hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. I've got Dr. Lori Mintz on the podcast today. She's back. And for those who aren't familiar, Lori is a psychologist, a sex therapist, the author of Becoming Cliterate, a tenured professor at the University of Florida, where she teaches the psychology of human sexuality, which, by the way, I call you the orgasm guru. So let's add that to your list of titles. But I just want to send you a super warm welcome to the Bedside Podcast. Thank you. It's very fun to be here again. Today, I, of course, want to talk all about orgasms, primarily focus on 
first vulva owners and then maybe the orgasms for those who have penises. But before we get into all of the nitty gritty, I would really like to chat with you about the orgasm gap and what the current stats are looking like. Have we had any shifts? Is it still kind of looking the same? Where are we at? Unfortunately, we're maybe making a little improvement, but not a ton, especially when it comes to hookup sex. So the orgasm gap is, as you and I'm sure people listening know, but in case not, let me say, it is the consistent finding in the scientific literature that when people who identify as cisgender women, people born with vaginas who identify with women as women, get it on with cisgender men, people born with penises who identify as men. And I'm being very specific here because we don't have research to say anything beyond that. The women, and I'll use that term broadly now for cis women, are having way fewer orgasms than the men. I can give you some stats if you want. So for example, in one study, 39% of women versus 91% of men said they usually orgasm. That's like a massive disparity, right? That study didn't ask the sex, was it casual sex? Was it hookup sex? And the studies that have looked at that find that the gap is the largest in hookup sex and the smallest in relationship sex, but never closes altogether. So for example, in data I've collected in my own class across the years, about 55% of men versus 4% of women say they usually orgasm during first time hookup sex. It's the biggest disparity there in hookups. Before we get more into like what the gap is, I kind of would love to describe and have you define what an orgasm is in general scientifically, because from a lot of people I've spoken to, there's one school of people who are like, I orgasm. I know the feeling. This is it. They describe it. And then there's another school of individuals that's like, I think I've had an orgasm, but I don't know. I believe that's what it is, but I'm not sure. So I'd kind of love to describe to listeners what an orgasm is scientifically? Like what's happening and maybe what does it even feel like? Let me start with what you just said about the two schools for a moment instead. For those who are in that, the general thinking among sex therapists is if you don't know that you've had one, you probably haven't. That's not 100% true, but it's by and large the thinking and what that often is, is people getting very pleasurable feelings through a sexual encounter, but not having an orgasm. So what an orgasm is, and this is the same for vulva owners and penis owners. It's the same physiology because the penis is a big clitoris and the clitoris is internal as well. And there's a lot of erectile tissue. So there's erectile tissue in penises and in the clitoris, the inner lips, the external clitoris, the internal clitoris. And what an orgasm is, is the erectile tissue is special capillaries where when you are not aroused, they work the same as other capillaries. The blood flows in and out. But when you are aroused, the blood flows in and it gets trapped there. It doesn't flow out. And that blood pools up basically till it reaches a very high level and then it's released with rhythmic contractions of the pelvic floor muscles, which is a very big group of muscles. And both penis owners and vulva owners have them. 
And basically, that's what an orgasm is. It's a little hard to explain, but I'm just going to say right now, for people with penises, there's usually an objective marker, which is ejaculation. That's not true of vulva owners. However, ejaculation and orgasm are not the same thing. The orgasm is the rhythmic contraction of the pelvic floor muscles, whereas ejaculation is the expulsion of semen. And they often occur so close in time, people think they're the same, but they're not. There is a fascinating study, I love this study, where people wrote descriptions of what their orgasm felt like. The scientists then took away any hints of if this was a penis or a vulva owner, gave the description to medical doctors and sex therapists, and they couldn't tell the difference because both described the same phenomenon, a buildup of attention, an explosion of that tension, and both described both pleasurable sensations and then also psychological feelings of peace and well-being and contentment. So it's the same physiology for both of us, basically. That's so fascinating. I love that you mentioned that study. I also am curious because you just mentioned the psychological benefits of orgasms. Can we talk about that for a minute? What are really the benefits? So when you have an orgasm, your body is flooded with feel-good neurochemicals. I'm not going to get into all the chemicals, but what I can tell you is that release of those chemicals physiologically have an effect on you. They make you feel close and connected to a partner. They make you feel sleepy. They make your anxiety decrease. They make you feel happy and peaceful. They help you get to sleep, etc. Now, there is a subset of people for your listeners in case someone's like, well, I don't. I start to cry after an orgasm. And people like don't know about that. And so when I talk about these feel-good feelings and chemicals, some people are like, oh no, I'm a freak. Something's wrong with me. But it's also related to those releases of chemicals as well. It's very bothersome for some people, but I don't want people to feel there's something wrong with them if they're listening and they experience that. I did a TikTok recently about the continuum of orgasms because I was talking with some friends about how there are different types of orgasms. And I listed one as the big O, the baby O, the fizzle, which is when you're on the rise to an orgasm and it fizzles out, the rolling orgasm that comes kind of in waves or the quiver that leaves you almost shaking. When I posted this video, it was crazy the response I got from people. I had no idea that there was such a diversity in O's. Is this a thing? I think there's two things when we could talk about diversity in orgasms that we can talk about. One is what you're talking about is the different feelings versus different types. You often hear about 10 types of female orgasm, the cervical, the breast, the clitoral, the vaginal. But in terms of what you're talking about, all orgasms are not the same and they can feel different from one woman to the other, although we can't know what another woman feels, of course, but most importantly, they're different within ourselves. It can depend on our psychological state, how much sleep we've had, 
what time of the month, where we are in our cycle. And Betty Dotson, who was the orgasm queen, although she's left us, she would often say, some feel like an earthquake and some feel like a sneeze. And there's a lot in between. And it's going to feel different every time. When I was chatting with other people about the different types of orgasms and we were specifically talking about the fizzle, which is when an orgasm dissipates, people were talking about how it makes them grumpy. I almost describe it as blue balls, but for vulvas. Well, that's not a type of orgasm. That is a lost orgasm. If you're saying you're almost there and it fizzles out, then you didn't have an orgasm. Does that make sense? I'm picking words here, but I think the language is important. The fizzle is I almost came and I didn't. And of course, it's going to leave you frustrated. It can leave you sexually frustrated. And blue balls is this whole thing that sometimes men use it like, oh, you gave me blue balls or, oh, if we don't do this, I'll have blue balls. I want to tell all your women listeners, too bad. If you don't want to do it, let them do it themselves. Leave. You don't owe anyone an orgasm. But it is very similar to the feeling of almost getting there, being really aroused and not finishing. I also would love to know a bit about anorgasmia. And this is not me discrediting it in any way. But is it actually a malfunction or is it because we haven't mastered the orgasm gap? It's both. Anorgasmia is an inability to orgasm under any circumstance. There's a lot of people that say, I can orgasm during masturbation, but not during partner sex. In that case, that tells me that person knows how to orgasm alone, but they're not getting the stimulation they need with a partner for a variety of cultural, individual reasons. So I would say, yeah, that's related to the orgasm gap. The research shows that about 10% of vulva owners never orgasm in their lifetime. Does that mean they're incapable? No, absolutely. From my estimation, it does not. But it does mean they haven't gotten the information or treatment needed to orgasm. Maybe they don't know how to relax and maybe they don't know how to be mindful Maybe they're terrified of using a vibrator. Maybe they're self-monitoring too much. Or there can be medical issues that are related to lack of orgasm. So whenever I have a client, I want to rule those out. You can have medication side effects. SSRIs are huge orgasm zappers. It's quite rare, but there are some women who upon examination by a knowledgeable physician, have a clitoral adhesion. So their clitoris isn't moving the way it should. So yes, some lack of orgasms are due to the same reason as the orgasm gap and inattention to women's most reliable routes to orgasm, but others are due to medicine, medication, or things that we need to address more psychologically, including trauma. I know every case looks different for somebody, but let's say somebody's like, I'm using a vibrator. I've been comfortable exploring my sexuality and trying really hard, and I'm still not getting there. What would you say treatment plans can look like for somebody who's never had an O? If I saw that person in therapy, I'd have to ask a lot of questions about their history of trauma, their body image, self-consciousness, 
their general level of anxiety? Are they able to be mindful and focus on the sensations or are they self-monitoring and worrying? Am I going to come? Am I going to come? Am I going to come? Because that's going to make it less likely. So there is no one treatment plan, but I would certainly have to ask all the questions and more that I just asked to understand what's happening and help someone. That makes a lot of sense. You also mentioned the concept of when you're thinking about an orgasm, how it will run away from you. Why does that happen? Why, the more we think about it, does an orgasm sometimes get further and further away from us? Well, because an orgasm requires a total and complete focus on your sensations and your mind takes you away from that. And that's why we know that mindfulness, which is the ability to put your mind and body in the same place, is necessary for an orgasm. You can't have an orgasm when you're thinking about if you're gonna. You can't have an orgasm when you're holding your stomach in or thinking about how you look. And also that's really underscored by some brain research, which I find fascinating, which shows us that the state right before an orgasm, the brain state is very, very close to the state of the brain in deep mindfulness meditation. You are completely present in the moment and your thinking self-monitoring brain is turned off. That's why mindfulness-based interventions are very helpful for women's sexuality. You recently posted statistics on the most reliable route to orgasm, which I thought was a really, really interesting post that you shared. And I'd really love for you to share the findings of the different categories that people found themselves in. This is the same data that I present in Becoming Clitorate that I've collected over years and years and years. So let me give you a little bit of a backstory, if I will. The old research used to ask women, can you orgasm during intercourse? Because that's what we think is, quote, ideal culturally. We want to orgasm the same way men do, et cetera, during the same act. It's what's portrayed in the movies. And those studies would find that 25% of women said that they could, 75% would say they couldn't. But then researchers came along and they're like, hmm. Maybe we should ask them if they're getting clitoral stimulation during intercourse, like rubbing their clit with their hands or on their partner's body part, et cetera. Those studies that have asked, can you orgasm from penetration alone without clitoral stimulation, find that 15 to 18% say that they can. I thought to myself, well, if we think we should, And we ask the question that way, it's going to pull for it. So I started doing research where I asked people simply, what's your most reliable route to orgasm? And the categories I give are clitoral stimulation alone, clitoral stimulation coupled with penetration, penetration alone, or I never orgasm. In my most recent post on Instagram, 2,800 people responded to this and 2% said penetration alone, 38% said clitoral stimulation plus penetration, 55% said clitoral stimulation alone, and 5% said I don't orgasm. And those are pretty similar to the numbers in becoming clitorate. What's really interesting is that group of people who say clitoral stimulation alone, that's the biggest number, right? 
in this survey. In other surveys, they're closer or one's bigger than the other. But I've had some people in that group tell me I can't orgasm when my vagina is being stimulated in any way because it's distracting. I need straight up clitoral stimulation. So that's also really important for people to know. And however you orgasm, and I'm not trying to denigrate any way to orgasm, however you do is fine. But what I am trying to do is the cultural images of the ideal way to orgasm are the most statistically unlikely ways. And you're talking about like pornography, very heteronormative media that we've seen. And even mainstream movies. There's little fooling around. The man puts his penis in her vagina and she has an instant orgasm. So I would really, really love to do a quick how-to guide to orgasming for vulva owners right now. And I was thinking that for people who are familiar with orgasming, there's always room for improvement. But for people who struggled with anorgasmia, that we could walk through some tips based off of the anatomy and what you historically know has worked for most people, how we can maybe begin to orgasm. So are you open to it? I am open to it with a caveat or two, if you will. First of all, I don't want anyone to think that just listening to this podcast is going to fix a longstanding sexual problem. This isn't sex therapy. So maybe one or two people might go, aha, and get there. But others, I want to say there's other things out there to help because now we're starting to talk about how to treat a problem and we can't treat a problem with a podcast. So I don't want people to feel if they try these things and it doesn't work, that can make it worse, number one. Number two, everything I'm going to tell you is in my book, Becoming Cliterate. And I'm not trying to sell books, but what I am trying to say is I can give you a three-minute summary, but you're going to get a lot more information if you actually do a deep dive by reading my or other books. But someone did a clinical trial on my book and found that women who read it do become orgasmic. So yes, I will tell you, but I also think that people need more than a three-minute summary. Thank you for making that disclaimer because I couldn't agree more. So the first step is basically get to know your anatomy, which obviously on a podcast, I can't show you a diagram. So get a good diagram like the one in my book, like and in Betty Dodson's book, like the one in Lonnie Barbeck's book, my book's not the only one. Get a diagram, find out what you've got, because if you don't know what you've got, how are you going to use it, number one? And then take a mirror and look at yourself. Identify the parts. And a lot of people have trouble with that, but we know what our nose looks like, right? And we know how to blow our nose because we're looking in the mirror. You've got to take a look down there. So that's number one. Then number two is train the sex organ between your ears in two ways. Figure out what sex negative thoughts you're thinking subconsciously even like, oh, I'm a slut if I enjoy sex or sex is more important for him than for me if you're heterosexual. And you have to really work with changing those thoughts. So identifying sex negative thoughts, thinking sex positive thoughts, and also mindfulness. Learn to turn off that busy brain. Do it in everyday tasks. Do it through mindfulness. 
and then you apply it to the bedroom. So you've trained your mind, you know what you've got down there, right? And then it's time to pleasure yourself. Take the time you need, get some lubricant. I strongly recommend, you can use your hands, but we know that women who use vibrators have easier and more frequent orgasms. Get yourself a vibrator, get some lubricant, pleasure yourself. Don't focus on orgasming, just take the time and pleasure yourself. And then you'll probably orgasm. And if not, there's some things you can think about. Maybe I'm still thinking negative thoughts. Maybe mindfulness isn't working. Maybe I need to try fantasy. So that's orgasming on your own. But then, and this is beyond the podcast, if you're going to transfer that to partner sex, the most underutilized but important information to have an orgasm with a partner is getting the same type of stimulation you get alone. So how are you going to do that? Through communication, talking about what you need, becoming empowered. And then finally, you need to do sex differently. Change the sexual script, if you will, which is generally foreplay just to get her ready for intercourse, intercourse, male orgasm, sex over. Do it in different ways. Do turn-taking scripts. She comes first. Oral sex during which she comes followed by intercourse or turn-taking oral sex. It doesn't have to be intercourse focused or she comes second. Fool around enough, for example, to have intercourse where it isn't painful, it's pleasurable because if you don't take enough time, it could hurt. And then use the vibrator on yourself. Or if you want to orgasm during the same act, take your hand, take a vibrator and use it during intercourse. There's many, many other ways, but that's the basic way to learn to orgasm. I really like what you just said about the sexual scripts, because I think a lot of us, especially if you have one recipe that always works for getting you to an orgasm, you stick to it. So I like this concept of allowing yourself to switch up the way that you do things, or if you're anorgasmic, totally allowing yourself to rewrite what's going to work for you. It's funny that we've centered intercourse being the main event, but come on, foreplay's the total main event. And in fact, I'm fond of saying that if we overprivileged female sexuality the way we overprivileged male sexuality, we would call foreplay sex an intercourse postplay. Think about the language that we use. We use the word sex and intercourse as if they're the same. We also call our entire genitals a vagina when it's not. The most erotic part is the vulva. So basically, we're calling our entire genitals by the part that's more useful to men than women themselves. Do you have any favorite types of vibrators, like a style or any specific types of lube that you feel fondly of? I think it's very dependent. Different people like different things. So I always say start out with a clitoral vibrator with multiple speeds and play around and see what you like. My favorite brand is Lilo, although they're quite expensive. They're made of medical quality silicone, which means they can be used with silicone lube, which a lot of vibrators can. There's different kinds of lubes. There's water-based, there's silicone 
which is slipperier. There's hybrid that mixes the two. So you got to experiment. Just get out there and look around. People are apprehensive to like even go to an online sex store and take the time to explore items for themselves. So I love that. And, you know, you might not love the first one you buy. So buy a couple and play around. I have a whole drawer full. I got hundreds. So just buy whatever you want if you can afford it and enjoy it. There's never too many. They all have a different purpose and point. And as we're talking about the diversity of orgasms, they all give you a different category of an orgasm. So I'm with you. That's true. But a lot of women will find one that they love and stick with it. And just like the routine, which I do want to sort of go back to something you said, if your routine is working, there's no need to mix it up unless you're bored. It's really, if it's not working, that's when you need to mix it up. Or if you just want to try something new. But I have a friend who works at a sex toy store and will say people will come in with a 20-year-old vibrator that's broke and say, do you carry this? I can't believe it's broke. And so people do get attached. So I sometimes tell people, if you find your absolute fave, maybe get two. I have no idea if you have any insight toward this, but I quite literally last night was having a conversation with somebody and naturally we went very deep into the sex conversation. And she was telling me, I have always been a really, really orgasmic person for quite some time since a young age. And then she goes, at 17 years old, I went to the OBGY you know, I'm in the stirrups and my OBG just gasped and goes, oh my gosh, your uterus is tilted and only X percent of women have this sort of tilt and it makes you more orgasmic apparently. I don't know if you've heard any of this, but we were cracking up because we were like, well, maybe the key to an orgasm is all about your uterine tilt. We should be researching this, but I need to ask you. First of all, I'm not a doctor. I'm a psychologist, so I'm not going to contradict a physician, but there's many, many things that make you orgasmic and a tilted uterus might help, but I don't want women running around wanting tilted uteruses. Anyone can orgasm no matter the tilt of their uterus. But we were joking. We were like, well, what if this becomes a phenomenon? And then on everybody's dating profile, they're talking about what tilt they are and trying to match a penis's curve. We were cracking up. The tilt of your uterus really, it's funny. I agree. But I think we end up setting women up for another thing that they don't have that they want. And when you talk about the matching of the penis, then you're also falling into that trap of, oh, if I just find the right penis that fits my vagina and my tilted uterus, I'll orgasm instead of just do it the way that's most reliable to you, which for most of us involves external clitoral stimulation. All right. As we're kind of wrapping up here, is there anything that you, as a message to specifically vulva owners, you want to share about orgasms and the potential that is available? I'm hoping to continue to close this gap. Pleasure yourself and then get the same type of stimulation you get alone. And that brings us the only thing that I didn't talk about that I think would be really essential to the conversation is the idea that you shouldn't need a vibrator or that men are going to be threatened by it, that they replace partners. And the bottom line is that's an idea we need to let go of. And we know that for heterosexual women, 
there's a huge correlation between a man endorsing and appreciating vibrator use and her sexual satisfaction. So if you always like your vibrator, just bring along your vibrator. And if he doesn't like it, find a new somebody. They don't replace partners. They don't kiss. They don't cuddle. And one of the metaphors I use in my book, I hope speaks to people, is if you were in the swimming pool with your partner and there was a raft there and you were jumping on the raft and off the raft and kissing and cuddling and having a really good time, you wouldn't then call your friend and go, ah, my raft and I had the best day together. Oh, and my boyfriend was there too. You wouldn't even mention the raft. And the same is true as a vibrator. It's just a tool to enhance the experience. By the way, penises like vibrators too. And if you're using a vibrator on yourself and you are with a partner with a penis, he's going to catch what I call vicarious vibes. And he'll enjoy that too. So it can benefit him as well. And it also takes the pressure off of him to do the cultural thing that is impossible is to, quote, give a woman an orgasm by lasting long and thrusting hard, which isn't how we orgasm anyway, generally. So that's the only thing I think that we didn't cover that's really, really important. While we're on the topic of penis owners and vibrators, I know that there's penis rings that vibrate. Would you recommend that for anybody who has a penis? What do you suggest for somebody who's wanting to enhance their orgasm? The same thing. Get some toys, get lubricant, pleasure yourself. Now, those rings, you have to be careful that they can't be too tight fitting. That can be harmful. They also have some that have attached clitoral vibrators, which are lots of fun for couples because he can wear it and then enhance his erection for him and at the same time give her clitoral stimulation. They're called couple vibrators. What came to mind too, I know we've been speaking so much about the heteronormative orgasms, but what are the stats on, I don't even just want to say queer orgasms, specifically like lesbian orgasms. Is there a difference between two vulva owners? Is the gap smaller? There isn't a gap because the gap is sex between women and men and women and women. We know that when women have sex with other women, they have way more orgasms than they have with men. There was one study, it was a very small study, but I think it's quite telling, of bisexual women who hooked up with women and men. So same woman, same body. When they hooked up with women, they orgasmed 65% of the time. When they hooked up with men, they orgasmed 7% of the time. So that tells us the problem isn't our bodies. The problem is the way we center male pleasure as the most important in heterosexual sexual encounters. We revolve it all around intercourse, which is only 2% of people's most reliable route to orgasm. I thank you so much for coming on because I know so many people listening are not only learning so much about orgasms, but also like the potential for their own experiences. So I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Lori. All right. Well, tell us where we can connect with you, where we can get your book, where we can discover your work. Drop all of your links. Everything is the same. My website is www drlaurimintz.com. So D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z. And my Instagram handle, my Facebook, my Twitter, it's all the same, Dr. Lori Mintz. And my books, you can find links on my website, 
to Amazon and other booksellers, but it's very easy to find on Amazon. Just type in Becoming Clitorant or Lori Mintz. I do have to say, you are also on the DM app, which I am also on, which hosts live sessions. And I know that you do a lot of live sessions chatting with different people about this sort of topic. So if you go download the DM app at D-I-E-M in the app store, it's free and a really great social platform. We're actually having the founder, Emma Bates, on next week for the episode. I'm on there as well. Yes. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much and happy orgasming. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at The Bedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. It's the best way you can support us and our good sex mission. Thank you for listening.